MP, it's here this weekend. That's right, Bretto. The Wellness Base Camp lands two hours south of Sydney in Kiama this Saturday, June the 2nd. Oh, naturopath, gut health and female health extraordinaire Helen Patteron will be joining us. Fuad Kassab from Quirky Cooking is coming down. Fellow podcaster Dr. Maria Zussman will be talking all about stress. And you and I, Bretto, will be there talking about love and relationships, work-life balance and how to truly master your wellness. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the Wellness Base Camp. One full day of inspiration and education on this Saturday, June 2, from 10 until 5. There's over 1,000 bucks in door prizes, a raft of world-class local exhibitors and a room full of people just like you. So bring a buddy and get two tickets for the price of one. All details and tickets available at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's thewellnessbasecamp.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to The Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. Today we're going to be diving down the rabbit hole a little bit and talk about a topic that I haven't really spoken about in depth before but it's definitely relevant uh, for anyone working 24-7, and that's uh, bowel health and things like constipation. And to talk more about this particular topic, I've got the lovely Linda Graparich from Byron Bay here in Australia, who is a yin yoga teacher, naturopath, and self-professed poo whisperer. So she's (laughs) going to be the perfect person to be talking about all things uh, constipation and bowel health, along with, you know, all other areas of gut health. So I'd like to give a warm and friendly healthy shift worker welcome to Linda. Hello. Hi, Audra. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm a little bit excited. (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. Because I mean, I love, like, I really you know, as a nutritionist, I think you can kind of get this. I mean, I really quite find this topic interesting as well, but I know that you're really passionate about this topic, <laughs> Linda. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you've been in the industry for quite a few years as well, so you really, really know your stuff. So I can't wait to dig deep and talk all things poo and gut health uh, with you this morning. <laughs> but first things first, I'd love for you to share your story uh, with our listeners, like how and why did you become a naturopath and what set you down the path of becoming a bit of a poo whisperer of sorts? Yeah, good question. And you know what? I had to think about this because um, <laughs> I tried not to keep this a long-winded story because it's all about the poo, not really about me. But this is my second run at being a naturopath, actually. I, many years ago, was in practice. And, you know, I graduated in 2002. I was working in the hub of uh, Sydney City, was working two jobs to support that particular um, business. And Ended up leaving that after four years because I was totally burnt out and just a bit jaded because I didn't know how to run a business. And so I went to work for a a leading nutritional and educational company, otherwise known as um, Metagenics Health World. So I had a bit of a sabbatical for seven years. So me actually going back into practice has only been, say, three to four years ago, I was asked by a friend and colleague of mine to become her associate. 
And at the time I was like, oh, not sure. I didn't know I wanted to get back into practice with all the stresses and everything that I had remembered it was like. And then ended up saying yes. I was up for the challenge. I needed a change, and and here I am today. We I we ended up moving to northern New South Wales, and um, so then I went out on my own, left uh, the the colleague, and as an as an associate, and then just went and delved into the world of digestive health. And that actual that actually came about because I was working with a mentor, and. You know, as a practitioner, we see all sorts of health conditions come in, of course, and we were whittling down which sort of people would come and see me. And it was a 50-50 that it would be weight loss and it would be digestive health. And for me, weight loss doesn't excite me. I kind of figure it's a byproduct of working on health. You know, if it need, if weight needs to be lost, then fantastic. But I'm not interested in just crunching numbers down and making sure people get to the the waist circumference and the weight on the scales that they're after. So went down the route of digestive health, which I was so passionate about. And in particular for me, I think constipation has plagued me on and off throughout the years, especially with travel, especially because I can be a bit of a type A worrywart. Not so much anymore. Well, actually, I probably am. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) those things for me, travel, and stress can be a real trigger for sluggish bowels. And so I have tried multiple things to get on top of poor digestive health and sluggish bowels. And I think that, you know, um, it was just a natural progression for me to delve into the world of digestive health, but in particular constipation, because I would see it time and time again. People would have sluggish bowels more than anything, more than your loose bowel movements. Well, that was what I was seeing in clinic. And then from that point on, um, you can't do constipation and not come across SIBO. And so now I've just gone down the route of looking at, you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth because they can come up with those symptoms of constipation and or diarrhea or a mixture of both. So that's my story in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just, I love the topic of all things digestive health. Yeah. And I think it can actually make a, a really good practitioner if you have sort of been through it yourself because you really really, really, really do get what it's like, uh, you know, uh, to, um, you know, have to endure the kind of digestive complaints that, you know, you've endured personally so you can relate to to what your uh, clients are going through. And I do know that uh, within your office environment there, you've got quite a few pictures or graphic pictures up of the, the bowel and the digestive. <laughs> Is that <laughs> correct? <Were they> graphic? <laughs> Well, what are you referring to? Well, not quite vis- not quite that visual, but the, you know, the picture of the uh, the the bowel and the you know the whole human body and so forth. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. All right, maybe yep. she's moved that photo. <laughs> maybe she's. Moved that. We'll Look, move there's no graphic on. real photos of, of feces or anything oh, like no, that, no, guys. No. You can jump on my website and <laughs> not be grossed out. No, 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 no. I was more just uh, thinking of the practitioner type, uh, yeah, pictures and so forth. But moving right yeah. along, pardon the pun, <laughs> I think we can both agree that, you know, unless you're a nutritionist or a naturopath or other form of medical practitioner, poo is not something that is readily spoken about, certainly not over the dinner table. Um, but bowel movements, uh, or should I say regular bowel movements, are so incredibly important for our health. Can you explain to our listeners, I guess, you know, why why is this so? I suppose, you know, what's exactly happening when we're constipated? 
Yeah. So, I mean, guess I guess the the main things that you'd want to be looking at when you're not moving your bowels regularly, and by regular, I try to get everyone to shoot for about one complete bowel movement a day, but up to three is absolutely fine. Any more than that, then you might be wondering why there's excessive bowel movements. And again, there's so many different representations of constipation and loose bowel movements and bowel movements overall. But the whole process of moving your bowels is that we're eliminating, you know, um, hormone byproducts. We're eliminating waste that the body doesn't need. We're eliminating medication byproducts, all that sort of stuff that our body actually doesn't need. And when we don't get rid of those things, we're recycling the hormones, we're recycling the waste, which can lead to a toxic buildup in the bowel. And that can lead to inflammation in the gut. It can lead to pathogen overgrowth, so the stimulation of bacterial overgrowth in in the gut, which can then further lead to things like leaky gut. So those that the permeability issue that we see in the intestinal cells walls that allow proteins to pass on through and toxins, and that in itself causes a systemic inflammation situation. And as you know, systemic inflammation all throughout the body can cause a whole host of issues. So, you know, hormonal problems, mental health problems, you name it. There's just this cascade effect that happens when we don't eliminate well on a daily basis. Mm. And there's like... There's a number of reasons or causes for constipation, aren't there, Linda? Like it's not just one or two things. Oh, there's a, yeah, there's a huge, a mammoth amount of reasons. Um, uh, did you want me to go through a few? Yeah, just give us a handful. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking if probably stress is probably one of the main things, but yeah. Absolutely, stress can be one of them for sure. Then you obviously diet can impact all our health conditions. So if there's not enough, you know, water intake, not enough fiber, you know, fibrous foods, plant foods is really important. Not enough healthy fats as well, because fats help to really mobilize and move poop on through, move it through easily. A sedentary lifestyle too. So if you're not sort of, if you're sitting down for eight hours or more a day and you're not getting movement throughout your day in the way of exercise or just activity throughout the day, putting the clothes on the line, you know, standing and sitting as you work, you know, walking around the block, whatever it might be, the body loves movement. And so a sedentary lifestyle can absolutely trigger Um, anatomical dysfunction as well. So if there's any issues with the, you know, uh, the colon or the rectum or anal sphincter or the nervous system, those things can impact. Um, Sometimes people have a habit of neglect. So say if you're, you know, you're met a fellow for the first time or met a partner for the first time and you've gone away and, you know, the bathroom's right next door and you're really scared to go to the bathroom because you're scared of making a sound. Sometimes, or people sometimes don't like going to a public toilet. They're only comfortable going to a toilet that is in their home. So you'll often find that people will suppress the urge to go. So it almost needs a retraining of the body because the body becomes a little bit lazy. Uh, you'll also find, you know, other triggers to constipation might be pregnancy and a little bit after birth. You might find that your bowel movements will um, become a little bit more sluggish there. Certain medications, antidepressants, you know, antihypertensives, analgesics, like, you know, things that relieve pain, mm-hmm. antipsychotics, iron supplements if you're not using the right form. Mm-hmm. So I always recommend going for the iron diglycinate because it tends to be well absorbed and doesn't cause that constipation. It's so, and other things like 
parasite infections, food poisoning, SIBO, you know, all that sort of stuff. There is a multitude of reasons why someone would constipate. Mm, so yeah, it really is going down the rabbit hole uh, in in so many ways in, um, as well. And it was interesting that you mentioned about the fats, Linda, because I think uh, you know there was that that time you know back in the nineties where we were all you know told that we can't eat fats. You know, low fat, low fat. It's all about low fat. Um, but you know, you're, you were saying, saying that it does help to um, you know for the the actual bowel um, motions to kind of uh, sort of keep moving through the bowel. And I'm sure there's pe- people still out there that have that fear of fat going through, um, you know, their minds. What would you be saying to them? Oh, I think it's so essential for so many reasons, as you're aware, but in relation to the digestive system, the intestinal cell walls are made up of fat, so it needs that fuel in order to do its job well. So outside of really lubricating the, the stool and helping push it on through easier through the colon, it really helps with the intestinal lining and integrity quality. So it's really important on so many levels. And if there is gut inflammation going on or even that systemic inflammation that I spoke about that was caused by the leaky gut situation, then healthy fats really help to dampen down inflammation in the body. So there is so many reasons, hormonal balance, as you know. And as I mentioned before, when there is that leaky gut thing presenting there, intestinal permeability issue, you may get hormonal issues, you may get depression, anxiety, you may get aches and pains and all that sort of stuff that require you to dampen down the inflammation in your body. So I think don't be scared of healthy fats. I'm a massive fan of healthy fats. In fact, I probably have too much, to be honest. But you just want to be choosing the right sources as well. So, you know, your olives, olive oil, macadamia oil, avocados, nuts and seeds, oily fish, like wild-caught oily fish, of course, um, you know, grass-fed butters, coconut oil, ghee, all that sort of stuff, really good sources is is really important. Mm, yeah, great, great points. All right, so is there a perfect sized or shaped poo? Is there a perfect, well, I think everyone is so unique and it's probably a bit similar to there is no such thing as the perfect microbiota. I think that, you know, we're only really, we don't really know what the ideal microbiota is. So I think when it comes to the poop, what you want to be aiming for for yourself is that it feels complete that it comes out relatively easy, that you're not straining or passing blood and lots of mucus and fatty globules and all that sort of stuff, Um, and that it's like a medium brown colour. It's not very, very light and it's not really dark. And it's got a scent to it, of course, but it's not a real putrid, sulfuric smell that you kind of need to fumigate the the toilet for hours. (laughs) So that's what I would be And just completes, like not too big where you're straining and not too pencil thin either. And definitely not your pebble poos because that can show that there's, you know, a bit of dysbiosis going on in the gut, um, that the person is constipated, dehydrated, various things can um, be indicative of a pebble poo. Mm. And that feels good. So if you, if you pass the poop and you're like, right, that, that was actually quite satisfying, <laughs> that is a good indication too. And I was talking about this in the past about pooforia. 
I believe that there's there's a, such a thing. I mean, someone's probably coined the term, but there's such a thing that when you pass a, a substantial, satisfying poo, you, um, you stimulate the vagus nerve, which gives us a, a you know supports our nervous system, but also gives us that really uh, enjoyable those enjoyable feelings, you know, those, those enjoyable sensations. And as we know, the vagus nerve passes from the brain to the gut. So if we're supporting the vagus nerve and strengthening and supporting the vagus nerve, we're really supporting that um, parasympathetic nervous system part of the autonomic nervous system. So that's the rest and the digest and the restorative and all that sort of stuff. So if it feels good, don't be embarrassed by that. Get Get excited. Yeah, I've never kind of heard of somebody put it quite like that before. What is a pew poo euphoria? I love it. Euphoria. <laughs> Pooforia. Yeah, I love it. But I you've got such a valid point, Linda, because we all know like when you're sort of when you are constipated, it it, it just feels awful. It feels uncomfortable, you feel really sluggish. Uh so what you've said, yeah, just yeah, totally yeah, totally makes sense, but we probably haven't thought about it in the in the way that um, yeah you've just described it. So yeah, well, and, and I think people don't make the connection either with their, oh, with their totally. tiredness or yeah. yeah. So I think what I normally see is, is um, us as humans, we've got a beautiful thing called the ego, and then the things that normally get us to take action are the things like bloating because we feel uncomfortable because we're bloated. We might not be able to fit into our clothing or it feels quite tight and all that sort of stuff. And then people are like, well, when I'm constipated, I feel really bloated or, you know, I get more gas and those sort of things are quite embarrassing for some or they, they just, you know, obviously it's very uncomfortable when it, but it, when it comes to, okay, well, I've been quite, my moods have been fluctuating, my cycle hasn't been, you know, as comfortable, it's been quite heavy, there's some issues going on there, my thyroid's playing up, all that sort of stuff. People don't make that association with, okay, there's inflammation in the body, there's possibly recycling of hormones, there's, you know, an overgrowth of bacteria possibly as well as a result of just those the plumbing system not working well. Mm, Yeah. And you did touch on this a bit before, Linda, but saying that they're like – ideally that you want everyone to be going once a day but there's not really a um, set everyone should be doing two or three times a day or four times a week or yeah what was what was your thoughts on that well I think if you try to put the um, the goal of more than once a day people get a bit disheartened because a lot of people don't go more than once a day and in fact Many go once every second day. And I think what people feel from my personal experience more comfortable with is if they have a bowel movement every day, job done. You know, they feel good. They, they feel like they're on top of it. They're eliminating waste well on a regular basis. I think if it's anything beyond three times a day and three complete bowel movements a day, because you will get people, um, often I will get people going every day, yet they're still constipated because it might be pebble poos and they never feel like it's complete, Mm. you know. So that is still constipation in my eyes. It needs to be complete as if you feel like you've emptied everything from your bowels. So if you're doing three or four uh, lots of pebble poos a day, it's still constipation and that's what you'd be working on. But I think when it comes to, you know, three loose bowel or three complete or very loose bowel movements a day, then you want to be looking at why there is that, 
excessive frequency? You know, is your body trying to get rid of something? Is there is are you eating something that it's uh, not agreeing with? Like there's, you know, there's probably a very loose benchmark for people to to aim towards because I think the problem with us getting very rigid on once a day or three times a day or whatever it um, everyone is so different and time and time again we get proven different different uh, like we get proven for it to be in a, a different scenario or it doesn't need to be so dogmatic I believe mm. I think having that dogma can be really an issue for people. Mm, great advice. Yeah, that takes a bit of the stress um, away from the whole process um, yeah. as well. Yeah. And see it as your – I know that uh, Lara Bryden, God Lover, talks about the menstrual cycle as being your report card. See your bowel movements as your report card. See it as, okay, well, something's going on there. It's, it's a little bit different in the sense of um, I'm feeling like I need to strain more. It feels a very it feels very pebble-like today or it has done for the last week. You know, it's got this really offensive odour. It's got food particles in there. See it as your report card, you know, is the plumbing working well? Um, is your body not agreeing with something? Is there, you know, something compromised in your body that you need to look into? Mm, brilliant advice. Yeah, Linda, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll change topic slightly here because I know that your specialty is SIBO. Could you, uh, you touched on it a little bit before, but could you explain, explain to our listeners exactly what is SIBO? Yeah, so it's, um, I would love to, I love this topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's an evolving topic. So we're finding things new about it all the time, um, which is also very exciting. It keeps me on my toes. But essentially, SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And it's generally when there's abnormally an abnormally large number of commensal bacteria, and by commensal I mean like actually good bacteria, just normal bacteria or archaea, and they're just microbes with no nucleus, if anyone cares, um, <laughs> in the small intense intestine. And in the small intestine is not where we're supposed to have a lot of bacteria at all. Generally, the bulk of it needs to live in your large intestine. So it's either relocated from the large intestine for various reasons, or it's not being properly cleared from the small intestine. So it's basically an overgrowth of commensal, like normal bacteria rather than harmful bacteria. But then in that overgrowth state, it becomes harmful. Gas is produced, which, uh, you know, methane, hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide, which can cause a whole host of issues in the body. Um, but that's generally what SIBO is. Mm, interesting that it's it's a good bacteria, not the bad. Yeah, yeah, most people, well, and this is the thing. I, I think anything in excess mm. is going to be, when it's out of balance and the homeostasis is almost lost, if you want to say it in that way, then it's going to be a little bit harmful for the body. So it's not necessarily that the bacteria itself is harmful. It's in its overgrowth state, it's causing these other it's producing, it's fermenting carbohydrates, or it's fermenting the food that's supposed to go to the host that's eaten it, and it's um, creating gas, which is then causing problems. So, yeah. again, causing that cascade effect. Yeah. Yep, too much of a good thing is not necessarily a good thing either. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. Try to give coconut oil too much of that, and Jesus Christ, I feel ill. Coconut oil? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was going to say chocolate. Is it is it too bad to be eating too much chocolate? <laughs> Do the oh, good I stuff. Love chocolate too, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you? Is there a particular test? Uh, you know, how do you identify if some if one of your clients uh, or patients has SIBO? 
Yeah, so first of all, uh, you'd want to be looking at the symptoms. And the symptoms of SIBO are very, very similar to um, IBS. In fact, about 60% of IBS is actually SIBO. Wow. So that's quite huge when you think about it. So there's a lot of crossover symptoms of you know, constipation or diarrhea or both. There's um, the big key with something like SIBO is that you might get bloating or constipation that's worsened by eating fibrous foods. So not necessarily bad food, fibrous food. Um, you can get symptoms of like, leaky gut, which is like more sensitivities to food. You, your stools might look a little bit fatty, like your poop might look like they're a bit slimy and fatty um, because your your bile has been compromised. Um, you might get joint pain, skin rashes, all that sort of stuff. And all the things that happen, all the um, effects that happen from malabsorption. So basically in the small intestine is where we do a lot of our absorption of nutrients. And so you can imagine if that's compromised, then you're going to have all the, the symptoms of a body that has a compromised nutrient, like compromised nutrition, like vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin E, B12, all that sort of stuff, iron. Um, so the list goes on with the symptoms. But the gold standard at the moment for testing for SIBO is by a company called Quintron, but it's, it's definitely available in Australia and it's just breath testing. So a lady up here, um, Dr. Narala Jacoby has SIBOtest.com and, and Practitioners can order the test for their patients or patients can can order the test for themselves. And basically, they're just breathing. They're, there's a preparation diet that they need to do 24 hours beforehand or 48 if they're constipated. And that can indicate if the person is hydrogen dominant or methane dominant in their gas or maybe they're, they're dominant in both of those gases. And the reason why it's really important to figure out which gas they're more dominant in is the treatment is different for each. So if you're just guessing that you might have SIBO and you start throwing things at it like antimicrobials or anything that you've um, read on the internet, then you might be taking a lot longer to get to where you want to be with your health or you might not be effective at all. So I really do recommend getting the test done. Um, it's not that expensive to be honest compared to a lot of the tests that are out there mm. and it'll just save you time and money getting really clear on on what gases you we're looking at here and what treatment needs to be had. Mm, testing's definitely uh, something that, yeah, I recommend with a lot of my clients too because it just takes away a lot of the guessing. Totally, 100%. Mm. I mean, it can get costly, but it gives us a yeah. baseline. Yeah. If you yeah. know if our treatment's working and if it's not, we need to move in a different direction because you know, you're aware of this. Everyone is just responds very differently to treatment. So you want to make sure that your treatment's working. And if not, okay, let's, let's pop you on something else. And, you know, you want to see that, that what you're doing is obviously working, what you're working with. And, and like you said, taking the guesswork out of it. Um, and a lot of the symptoms can look, they can just all morph into one. <laughs> you know, a lot of the conditions are very similar in their symptom and sign picture. So it's like, well, this is actually really confusing. I believe that it might be this, but mm, could also be this and this other thing that might be going on. So, yeah, I think it's really important just to, to get the testing and to um, have a baseline 
Mm, well, that leads me to the next question. Like there are so many gut conditions kind of out there. Like the there's the IBS you were touching on before, IBD, you know, the actual dysbiosis, sorry, dysbiosis. Are you, I guess, able to kind of break down um, each of these? Obviously not all of them, but just to kind of differentiate them for us? Yeah, look, I, I can and just move me along if I waffle on about any. I <laughs> bet. There is, there is quite a bit, absolutely. IBS, as, as many probably know, stands for irritable bowel syndrome, and that's basically a functional disorder of the colon and intestines. And so what you'll normally see in that um, uh, some of the characters of that particular condition will be, you know, abdominal pain, diarrhea, again, constipation or both, um, bloating, gas, you know, again, those other symptoms that I mentioned with SIBO, like fatigue and uh, nausea and, you know, belching and that sort of stuff. So there's some of the common symptoms. And there's a couple of different types. And again, you might be treating them slightly different. So you've got a different different subcategories, as I mentioned. So you've got IBS-C, which is the constipation type of IBS, IBS-D, which is the diarrhea, pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> And IBS-M, so that's kind of your mixed when someone's getting the constipation and, and diarrhea. Um, did you want me to move out on to some of the others? Or oh, talk please. About no, no, go for it. Knock yourself out, Linda. I know this is something that you could talk to us about hours. I haven't got an out. We might have to do a second podcast if it yeah. – <laughs> But no, please, please, it's fascinating. Yeah. And IBD, basically, it sounds for, uh, stands for inflammatory bowel disease. So basically, it's a non-specific chronic inflammatory disease of the, of the, the gut, gastrointestinal tract. So it commonly affects like the distal part of the small intestine, the colon, um, but the inflammation may also affect any part of the GIT, so from the mouth to the anus. And the most common types of IBD are things like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, and I guess you could put celiac in that category too. So this, the symptom picture of Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are, are very, very simple, similar. And um, even probably with, with celiac, you'll see, you know, you might see diarrhea with or without blood. Uh, you might see abdominal pain, bloating, tenderness or pain, so that visceral hypersensitivity, um, fatigue, anemia. Um, again, when we're affecting the digestive system, we're affecting our ability to absorb and utilize the nutrients. So anything that's going to come from depleted nutrition, you're going to get symptoms of. Um, you might also get the fatty stool as well that you'll, you might see in things like SIBO and IBS and all that sort of stuff. So as you can see, a lot of the symptoms morph into each other. Um, you might get some rectal bleeding as well. So that would probably differentiate a little bit with the um, and highlight maybe that there's an inflammatory bowel disease going on when there is that bleeding Yeah. Um, to look for. Uh, what else? What else? Again, joint pain. And that just totally makes sense to me. There's inflammation in the body. There's nutritional uh, deficiencies. And then I can go on or do you want me to stop? Dysbiosis. Let's talk about dysbiosis. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, <laughs> we hear this word talked about a lot. and Maybe many of us don't know what it actually means. So it's basically like an overgrowth of, again, commensal bacterial, so the, so not necessarily bad bacteria, normal bacteria, and also opportunistic bacteria. So bacteria that, as the name states, you know, 
seizes the opportunity to be harmful, to wreak havoc in the body. So it can lead to things like um, putrefaction, which is basically rotting and decaying in the body. So we're not breaking down things well. Um, you know, infections, IBS-like symptoms. It can affect our ability again to you know it can affect our digestive enzymes, so our ability to um, produce and break down foods well. Again, nutrient depletion. So, and, you know, so many things do cause dysbiosis. So when that bacterial ecology, so what we want in the gut is we want diversity. We want lots of different types of bacteria because they all have functions that support the body, you know, Mm. weight management, anti-inflammatory, you know, insulin support, all that sort of stuff is, is, you know, the our little fantastic bacteria in our GIT system really support those things. So those things that really can compromise and can lead to dysbiosis is, you know, the overuse of antibiotics, high stress, which can affect everything, <laughs> poor diet, like high carbohydrate, you know, sugars and that sort of thing, toxins as well, so toxic exposures, um, gut inflammation, so constipation could lead to dysbiosis, that's for sure. Um, if there's like a compromised immune system, those sorts of things can really drive things like uh, dysbiosis in the gut. Mm, yeah, there's, it, there's so much to it, isn't it? It's just that, un, that uncomfortable gut could mean so many things, uh, you know, that's why, yeah, seeing the, seeing the right practitioner, you know, like yourself that really can dig down to find out exactly what the cause um, can certainly be definitely a worthwhile investment uh, in your health. Yeah. And what you find, though, is that a lot of the nutrients cross over to support these things and so that's the beauty of um, what we do. There's a lot of um, gorgeous nutrients, natural nutrients that can support overall GIT. Mm, Yeah. Um, But certain conditions do warrant a bit more investigation and probably a bit more specific treatment. Yeah, particularly, I guess, if you've had that condition for quite a long time. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Now, it's no secret that the quality of our diet when we work 24-7 is not the best. I know that everyone listening can relate to what I've just said there um, because ongoing sleep deprivation certainly, you know, tends to deplete our cooking mojo of sorts. Um, But do you have three foods um, in particular, Linda, that you would recommend for shift workers um, to kind of stay away from um, to, you know, help to support their gut health? Yeah, absolutely. And you can probably add a lot more to this as well, really understanding shift workers, I can't speak, workers. Um, But I'm going to start with what they what I think would be great for them Go <laughs> no, for into, it. yeah avoid. please yeah so I think as, as you mentioned on on my podcast which I cannot wait to make live um, that shift workers or people that do have that role are very prone to intestinal permeability so to leaky gut issues so the things that I would really would like to see with someone that may be prone to having a problem with leaky gut compromised, you know, or eat sluggish bowels and that sort of stuff, is eating foods that that promote or anything that will promote short-chain fatty acid production, especially butyrate. And I'll get into some of those foods in a moment. But butyrate, I absolutely love. Short-chain fatty acids, I love. And basically, these particular nutrients like butyrate help to improve leaky gut, so it really improves intestinal permeability, um, dampens down systemic inflammation, even supports mitochondrial health, and even supports mood. Um, and it even um, produces or 
supports this, like the production of mucus, and that's really important for the gut lining and integrity. So those, and I'm just going to get into some of the things that I'd love to promote and then some of the foods that help to do that. And this is going to sound like I'm just talking gibberish, but anything that will promote, and you've had Jason Horlack on your show, so he would have spoken about Akkermansia, Akkermansia mucinophila, and Fecalobacterium prosnitzii. Holy smokes. No, I don't even think even Jason didn't mention that. Oh, really? Yeah, not in that. Yeah, not. (laughs) So these species are found in our body. Well, most of us, uh, it's found in our um, GIT and not in mine, unfortunately. And I've got some theories as to why it's Akkermansia is extinct. And Fecalobacterium prosnitzii, Bacterium, prosnitzii, is a major butyrate producer, so it really supports short-chain fatty acids, and even low levels of acomansia is associated with leaky gut. So the good news is the things that increase short-chain fatty acids, acomansia, fecalobacterium, and butyrate, and those sorts of things, are your fibrous foods, so your natural prebiotics, things like, um, you know, the FOS and inulin, so artichokes, Mm. garlic, onions, leek, asparagus, that sort of thing. GOS, galacto-oligosaccharides, are found in things like your brassica families of um, veg, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, LSA, polyphenol-rich foods. So think about your really colourful foods like berries and pomegranates and even things like nuts, like chestnuts and seeds and flaxseed and black tahini and that sort of stuff. Colourful veg like purple carrots and sweet potato and, you know, and the benefit of something like sweet potato is that if you cook it and cool it down, it becomes a resistant starch, which Mm. then is also a fantastic food for our um, um, gut bacteria. So again, it, anything that's going to replenish and support the gut bacteria, create a beautiful diversity, but also promote growth of those particular species is just awesome source. Um, but other things like red cabbage, red onion, broccoli, black olives, plant food, think about, you know, even red and black quinoa, you know, don't be scared of, of those sorts of grains. Just make sure, especially with your grains, and if you've got a sensitive digestion, just make sure you're soaking them. And then you're discarding the water and then, you know, you're using it that way. What I will say, though, is that this will obviously, any of these suggestions obviously depend on what's going on for the person. So if you've got SIBO, then you might find that certain foods aggravate your symptoms. So this is just a very broad rundown. As I mentioned before, omega-3s and healthy fats are going to be really important. So getting those with your meals, um, those prebiotic-like foods, like even dark cocoa, as you mentioned, chocolate, you know. Um, but also, you know, I'd go 85% beyond cacao. Yeah. Um, or even just organic cacao, popping a teaspoon in a smoothie or, you know, having that throughout the day is a really good source of prebiotics. Um, and antioxidants, almonds, green tea, you know, carrots, as I mentioned before, all of these crossover, resistant starch, as I've touched on. Even something which I have got a newfound love of, thanks to Jason Horlack, is the <laughs> partially hydrolyzed guar gum. 
It's amazing. Really, really good for gut motility. So great for the constipated person. Mm. Uh, it really helps. Yeah, it's awesome. And I actually quite like the taste of it. It's weird. Maybe I need it. It uh, <laughs> reduces inflammation in the body and it really helps to support the production of things like lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. And then the, all those, if you wanted to go down the whole supplemental route, you can obviously get this in your food. Zinc, vitamin A, D, you'd want to be checking your D levels because yeah. vitamin D is so important for the integrity of the intestinal cell walls. Mm. So you want to be making sure that that's all in check. And the final thing that I will say there is that anything that supports the secretory IgA, so basically they're mm. antibodies that are found in the intestinal lumen. And they help to really, you know, dampen down inflammation. They really influence the composition of our intestinal microbiota. And they're like the first line of defense in protecting the intestinal epithelium from like toxins and pathogens and that sort of thing. So again, a lot of the, the prebiotic-like foods I mentioned before will help to really support the secretory IgA, as will things like bone broths and, and that sort of stuff. Anti-inflammatory foods, um, and a lot of these things are. They're going to be supporting, you know, essential fatty acids, turmeric, all that sort of stuff. So I guess what I will say there is that you are quite big on having liquid foods. Mm, for, for night shifters, yeah, for night shift particularly, yeah. So when I look at the, some of these recommendations, it would be quite easily to make a, like a casserole or if you've got the time and if you had to shift in advance, a casserole, having a lot of these plant foods, making sure you get your healthy fats in there. You know, if, you've, um, if you're making salads, cooking and cooling down a sweet potato and then popping a, um, a few slices into your salad the next day, all that sort of stuff. Like so easy to get these sort of beautiful foods that are going to support your gut motility it's going to support like a sensitive digestion, but it's also really going to improve the bacterial diversity. Um, and I guess now that I've waffled on about that so much, we'll go back to what <laughs> would probably avoid. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, you've mentioned that um, what are the some, some of the major digestive complaints you see with shift workers? So it's leaky gut, it's um, constipation. What are some of the other ones? Yeah, constipation is is probably a big one, and just that yeah that that um, that just that gut discomfort that that sort of pain that people um, sort of tend to uh, experience. They do. Uh, there's a bit of a night shift nausea that does tend to happen as well for many. So they start to feel a little bit yeah feel a bit nauseous during the night. Uh, that's uh, another one. Peptic ulcer disease, unfortunately, in the research is fairly uh, quite common among shift workers as well. So just an assortment. But I think, Linda, it really does come back to, as you've mentioned so beautifully, it is, it's a very uh, multifactorial uh, thing, the causes behind it, but one thing that, that sort of stands out for shift workers that, that makes us so different amongst the normal part of the population is that we are working against our circadian rhythms and, uh, you know, our whole... <sighs> bowels, uh, you know, run against, you know, have their own circadian rhythms happening, which so if we're working against the, uh, you know, against what we should be doing uh, that we've evolved as as human beings, then it is going to cause a little bit of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Compromised. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so it makes total sense. And, mm. and, and it's very different, no doubt, to, um, 
in so many ways to traveling, but you'll see that when people travel and they become constipated, you know, when, and one of those reasons is that when you're sleeping, your body wants to poop and you're suppressing that urge. So, you know, it does, it does have its own circadian rhythms and time zones and all the rest of it, but very different. I digress. Um, So from, if they've got a compromised digestion from being a shift worker and from their their environment and there's leaky gut going on there's constipation i'd avoid anything that's going to cause more inflammation to the body and disrupt the gut microbiome and um so certain examples with that would be the obvious ones like um gluten and wheat and predominantly because you know it directly well Gluten contains a component of gluten is gliadin, and gliadin is known to um, increase the production of something called zonulin. And zonulin really triggers or leads to that opening and closing of the intestinal cell wall. So it contributes to gut lining, um, intestinal impermeability mm. um, directly. So you want to be yeah. avoiding that because you're just adding another barrier. Yep. So as much as you can, avoid the gluten and uh, wheat. And for for other reasons, you know, gluten and wheat, you think about the hybridization of wheat. So it's so manipulated now that our body often doesn't know what to do with it because it's just, it's almost unrecognizable to the body. And we won't go down the route of the whole glyphosate sprayed by, you know, Roundup and which again can be inflammatory to the body. So just anything that's going to be inflammatory to the body, I would avoid. Um, depending on how bad and sensitive their digestive system is functioning, then I would look at certain like um, grains overall um, because they can contain those anti-nutrients that can be inflammatory and damage the gut lining and integrity. And the other one that people don't probably think about much is that if you're constipated and you might be going every second day, every third day, you want to avoid having too much protein with your meal and especially things like red meat because it places too much of a demand on the body Mm. and so it's not as easy to break down. So I would definitely still continue to have protein with absolutely every meal because it's really important for your detox pathways, mental health, you name it, inflammation, but aim for just that loose amount of um, a palm portion per meal and make sure you're not having red meal multiple times, red meal, red meat (laughs) multiple times a week. Yeah. You know, especially if you're constipated, just wild caught fish, um, you know, have a range, have a variety of proteins on tap um, because what ends up happening is that, you know, that undigested protein can lead to that overgrowth of rotting bacteria. It takes a lot longer for the body to, to pass and break that down so i would those would be my three main ones i don't want to be too radical with remove this remove that i think any known triggers for you so if you eat a certain food and you're like right dairy just gives me bloating i feel really congested that congestion makes me feel really um give me brain fog i can't function well after i have a big smoothie that's got milk in it you know look at those things that you could possibly be triggered by and just avoid them for the time being um or don't have them every day because i think it anything that's going to really amp up the inflammation to someone that's already got a circadian rhythm that is just very disrupted, yep. then is not a good idea. Mm. Would you add anything to that? Uh, you've 
You've just explained that beautifully, Linda. I, I love how you've really given us a good education and understanding behind it, like the why, because there's no point telling you that you should, you know, telling anyone really you should do this, you should do that. But I love how you've just explained to us, really stripped everything back and broken it down for us to understand why. Uh, and, you know, particularly the, yeah, even like the meat. And so cause I've got clients that would, you know, have that hamburger or steak at 2 a.m. in the morning. So I'm hoping now that they've just listened to this podcast that will give them a really good uh, explanation as to why that may be not such a you know such a, an ideal thing to be doing uh, you know at that particular time uh, anyway so no uh, beautiful but I did want to just you mentioned about black tahini I hadn't actually seen black tahini before. oh you haven't seen black tahini no. oh. so it's basically the, the it's the unhulled tahini so it's the tahini that's um, oh is that the same thing yeah. it doesn't look it like is. Yeah, there is. I think Kawi, you know that brand C-A-R-W-I, I'm pretty sure from memory, I think that's even available in okay. supermarkets and yeah, most yeah. health food stores. I love black tahini. It looks like it looks wrong and your mouth yeah. isn't looking like you've eaten charcoal, but it's just, you know, you know you're eating a, a, a bucket load of nutrients yeah. and that it's just amazing. I love it. Yeah, I'll have to go and, uh, yeah, look at that. That's so interesting. <laughs> And listen to your body, guys. Like seriously, it's um. I think that's the biggest thing. You can we can ignore uh, signs and symptoms, especially if we're gripping on for dear life to a food that we absolutely love. But you know, as I mentioned, coconut for me, it's just not a good idea in excess. And I can be known to have fats in excess, and then I'll hit my limit where I'm like, oh, that that makes me feel really unwell, nauseous. <laughs> Something's going on there. Mm. So. Yeah, really listen to your body because we are so different and if something makes you feel weird, then take it out for the time being until you're able to take on the more a wider variety of foods. Oh, and that's, again, that's beautiful advice, Linda, because I think so many of us can get so, uh, I guess, uh, confused and obsessed about, you know, going on a particular, you know, diets that are out there because there's, you know, there's a whole Encyclopedia Britannica of different diets that, <laughs> at the moment that people can go on and it can so get very confusing for people but if you at the end of the day if you do exactly what you've just suggested to really sort of step back a bit and just listen to your own body because we are all uniquely different our biochemistries are all very different things that uh, you know what's good for one person may not necessarily be uh, agree with that other one as well so the fact that you if you just listen to don't keep eating something if it you know that it's been told that it's been healthy don't keep eating it if it doesn't agree with you uh, I think that's just yeah beautiful beautiful advice and I get that kind of leads me on to the next question that everything in the media um and the nutrition wellness circle at the moment is about healing the garden you've certainly spoken a lot about that uh, and I'm probably going to already answer this question but uh you know do you think that the whole healing the gut <laughs> uh that is you know in the in the media so much at the moment that that's just another diet nutrition fad as well or do you really think that this could quite possibly one be one of the biggest health discoveries of our time i can't wait to answer this question and <laughs> before i before i do actually get into it though i'd love to get your opinion on caffeine and alcohol i've got some ideas there but um i think because it's such your it's your niche i mean you know the insides and outs of shift working so if we could come back to that if you've got time that'd be awesome <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> interviews on the other foot because um, I think that would be quite a biggie for some shift workers mm -hmm. caffeine and <laughs> 
don't go there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess, look, this is going to be a really easy thing to answer, I think, that Absolutely. I don't think it's a fad. I think that us as health practitioners, naturopaths, nutritionists, we have been talking about the gut for a long, 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 long time. And when you look, and we've been treating the gut for a long, long, long time. And so if you think about, um, uh, and you think about people like Bernard Jansen, who's like the pioneering nutritionist and neurologist of like 1955 and even before then, he wrote a, a ba- amazing book, which I absolutely love, really easy to read, called Dr. Jensen's Guide to Better Bowel Care. And he talks about raising bowel consciousness, which I use regularly because I just think that's awesome. Um, so he's been talking about you know bowel health and GIT health and cleansing for a long time. Then obviously, he, 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 I never say his name, Hippocrates. Um, yeah, yeah, me <laughs> too. I struggle with that as well. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he's known as like the father of Western medicine. And so back in the day, very, very, very long time ago, he had that famous quote of all disease begins in the gut. So we've been looking this for a while, but I would challenge everyone to, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, is that what do actually people think when we talk about gut? Are they just thinking about like the intestines or are they thinking about the entire gastrointestinal tract, like the mouth, the, you know, the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine, large intestine, liver, gallbladder, kidneys, all that sort of stuff, because that comprises the entire digestive system. And when we think about what the entire digestive system does, it like breaks down and absorbs nutrients. You know, things like your hydrochloric acid, your, um, you know, bile salts and, you know, digestive enzymes, they're actually outside of helping break down foods well. They also are antibacterial. They're also um, bacterial cidal. So those bacterial cidal, <laughs> all these confusing names. So that actually reduces the growth and the replication of certain bacteria. So really, really important for overall the overall systems in our body. So they clear out toxic products and all that sort of stuff. So it'd be weird for us not to think that supporting gut health is one of the first things that you do as not being, having massive impact on our overall healing. I think it's just, it just makes total sense because it just, it touches and affects so many systems in our body. So that's my answer. (laughs) So that's a big yes. (laughs) Yes, God, yes, it's not a fad. (laughs) It's definitely, uh, yeah, really important. Yeah, and yeah, again, you've made a very good point. Most of us, well, I mean, I know that I did before, you know, becoming a bit of a practitioner and learning the science is that I used to think of gut as, you know, just my tummy. (laughs) But we kind of don't think that it begins right up and, yeah, with the starting of the whole chewing process to uh, what's happening uh, when we poop out the other end. So, yeah, very, very good point. So I guess is there anything before we wrap up uh, the podcast, Linda, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, add that you think would um, help and um, benefit our sleep-deprived listeners when it comes to their gut oh look i think i think that you would be able to offer a lot more in this so oh, no, you're the gut <laughs> and guru and honestly <laughs> the podcast interview i did with audra guys please check it out it is fantastic you really speak clearly to this topic and just makes 100 percent so much sense but i think again all those things that we spoke about you know implementing the fundamentals removing the inflammatory um triggers 
you speak a lot to community as well, which I absolutely love when you jump on, you jumped on my podcast. You, you had some awesome tips around um, making sure that shift workers maintained healthy relationships and they didn't kind of just isolate themselves because of the crazy shift working hours because it can be quite a challenging and, and lonely and isolating role. So I think that that would be really important for people to to consider, not just diet. Um and preparation, I think, you know, really prioritizing yourself and preparing as best you can with the rosters you're given. I know it's not always realistic. Um, and again, I probably didn't mention before, but just get into the, the easy things like herbs and spices. They're like your little medicines in, in mm. granules, you know what I mean? Like mm. those things like caraway seeds and coriander seeds, black pepper, cumin, you know, turmeric, um, all that sort of stuff, anti-inflammatory, antioxidants, polyphenols, things that are going to dampen down inflammation, help reduce gas if that's what's going on for you. Some of them help to remove um, bacteria from the body. So get into those really colourful foods, herbs and spices. Don't forget about them. People often do. And as you mm. said, um, the smoothies and the soups, you know, they're easier on digestion, as you said. So luckily you can pack in a lot of what I've mentioned into a smoothie or a soup really easily. So they would be the main ones. But the, the caffeine, I do want to ask you if you've got one second, what's your thoughts? Because I know that it's got a long half-life and so you'd really want to – and people – uh, you respond to caffeine very differently. You know, some are fast or slow metabolizers. Um, so you'd, I, I would imagine you'd have to be really careful with when you choose to have it as a shift worker and all the other things of it being able to, like consumed on an empty stomach, it can contribute to leaky gut and impact your cortisol levels, all that sort of stuff. I'd love to know what you say to people with um, when it comes to caffeine, if you don't mind me turning the microphone on you. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. We'll just, uh, yeah, turn the uh, who's interviewing who here. I love it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the topic of caffeine and even alcohol, um, I'm not usually very popular when I do bring that up in conversation. Uh, interestingly, though, some of my clients uh, don't drink coffee or alcohol and I'm just, yeah, amazed that they haven't gone down that route, which is fantastic. But, yeah, caffeine is, uh, is one of those things, particularly coffee, I... There is, well, I would say, ninety percent of the shift working population. It's uh, definitely something that that we rely on, and caffeine in, can be in any forms. Obviously, not just the coffee, but the energy drinks. That's really when you look at not just the uh, the caffeine content of an energy drink, although that's something that uh, people need to be starting to do because that caffeine content does vary. Uh, but the other stuff that's going on in those energy drinks is quite frightening. Um, totally. that, and if you are somebody that is quite dependent on them and drinks, uh, you know, several of them through your shift, uh, it's – yeah, it can lead to things like heart palpitations and all this kind of stuff, so definitely not good. Uh, for people that, yeah, that maybe be having three or four cups a day, I do tend to, uh, because I don't want them to hang up the phone on me uh, when I'm speaking to them, but, you know, by saying, you know, just completely go cold turkey. I mean, in the perfect world, that's what we really, you know, would be doing because it's the caffeine obviously affects our adrenal glands uh, and, you know, sets off that whole cascade of uh, stress hormones. And, and the fact is, as shift workers, we are already biologically stressed, so we want to do the opposite. We want to calm that uh, nervous system down and move you more into that uh, rest and digest uh, parasympathetic arm. So, but for people, I just uh, let them know. Look, let's just bring it 
let's just halve what you're doing. But most importantly, and you just alluded to it before, Linda, is to really, if you're going to have it, let's have it at the beginning of your shift. So even if you're, if you're going into night shift, uh, you might be starting at, uh, you know, 9 p.m. and going through to 7 a.m. In the, in the morning, you know, have it at the beginning of your shift and or, you know, no later than uh, 12, you know, midnight. Because as you said, it does have that half-life. So it can, it does stay in our system for, for a lot longer. And the thing is people... Uh, that uh, I was learning a little bit more researching on this, people that think that they can have that caffeine and then, go, you know, and say, oh, but it doesn't affect my sleep. I can have it just before I go to bed and I'm fine. It doesn't affect my sleep. Well, you may think that it doesn't affect your sleep, but if you've got that caffeine going through your system, it is definitely affecting your sleep in some way, shape or form. You're not going to be going through those or being able to get to those, um, go through that natural sleep cycles uh, when you've got this mm. caffeine that's zooming around in, in to your system so you you will just wake up feeling you know like crap really uh, because you haven't slept that well so mm. yeah that's probably one of the big uh, again I like to try to explain that to my clients to help them to understand because I know that there's a lot of people that have just uh, you know over the years they they end up drinking more and more coffee it's a bit like uh, melatonin and other medications we we get that develop that dependency on it but the body just doesn't respond in the same way so we kind of feel like we have to have more and more to get that same effect uh mm. so um yeah but if i could get people to just taper uh taper back a little bit um and you know over time you, they don't sort of miss it as much but it's a behavioral change that's not easy to do um so but in health wise it's yeah definitely worth it and particularly obviously i'm quite concerned about the sleep or lack of sleep uh it's one thing that i really focus on and, and alcohol is another thing as well that disrupts um part of our uh in particular the research has shown that it disrupts the rapid eye movement phase of our sleep cycle so mm. it might again it might feel seem like you know you can have alcohol and it's going to knock you you know knock you out and you'll you know fall asleep on the couch no problem but again the type of sleep that you have is not going to be great you will wake up a few hours later uh, because of the effect that alcohol uh, has um, on our brain chemistry so yeah does that answer your question now that That's we flipped totally it around does and I just think <laughs> it is so weird when you say have your your first and final coffee at 12 a.m. I mean, that is just ridiculous, which is why <laughs> it's hard for me to get my head around, which is why I'm so grateful that you actually do have programs that, that you do one-on-one -on -one consultations with shift workers. It is such a niche and not a lot of people are doing it, guys. So, you know, Audra is the gal. Seriously. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. And right back at you in regards to gut health too. So, yeah. Actually, I just thought of something just before wrapping up. I did want to throw this question in. I just thought about it during the, the uh, interview. What are your thoughts on uh, colonic therapy and things like enemas and things like that to help with your bowel health? <sighs> Look, I think um, I think it, it doesn't kind of deal with the why it's happening in the first place. I think the first line would be to look at the dietary stuff, to look at the stress, to look at why it could be t potentially happening. Um, when it comes to, are you talking about colon hydrotherapy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that the, I think it has its place, absolutely has its place, particularly if someone's been chronically constipated for over 20, 20 years, and that's what I see sometimes. Mm. But, I, and you know, you might have a backlog, you might have that fecal impaction in the actual intestines. It can get, it can help with dislodging. If you've had a series of these uh, colonic hydrotherapy, I just see 
too many times that people become addicted to it. And like anything, your your bowel becomes dependent and a bit lazy, you know, forgets to do what it's supposed to do. So I think you want to try everything else before you get to that point where you might be using colonic irrigation. I think it totally has its place for sure for a short period of time. And by that, it could be a good um, colonic irrigationist would probably have like a naturopath or some practitioners in there that would say, okay, I want to see you for six weeks in a row. We're going to do a treatment once a week and then I don't want to see you again for another year. You know, I, back in the day I knew a lady who was amazing, naturopath and did colonic hydrotherapy. She worked a lot with cancer patients and uh, I, you know, tried it with her and and she said that to me and I thought I love that because it's not me becoming dependent, it's her taking charge and saying, okay, I don't want to see you again for a long time and what happens yeah. is when people just go and they do it weekly and I can't have a bowel movement so therefore I'm just going to have colonic irrigation it doesn't really deal with the why so it's going to continue happening and you're just going to make your body a bit lazy to doing what it intellectually knows how to do it just needs a bit of retraining and that might take a little bit of time you know so yeah that's mm-hmm. my theory good point I guess it's a bit like becoming dependent on a pill isn't it the, oh, totally. like yeah stuff yeah so it's oh. yeah it, it can be a bit of a longer long journey yeah but it's it's so worth it you know you might get results straight away you might get little rewards straight away that um within a couple of weeks that keeps you motivated to stick to the plan but long term you'll be better off allowing the intelligence of the body to do its thing than to rely on like pharmaceutical laxatives or colonic irrigation as your um band-aid treatment so you know, so much to look at and it's not so black and white. There's obviously there's muscular and nervous system problems with some people that compromise sluggish bowels and that. So, yeah, that's where I stand with it. I'm not against it. I totally think it has its place. It's amazing for some things but just not um, – It's it's got some dangers around it too in the sense of, you know, people taking things in their own hands and using it as a crutch. Mm. Good point. Yeah, not becoming dependent on it. And yeah, great, great advice. Well, look, this has been so cool uh, talking with you, Linda. It has definitely ended up being a little bit of a longer podcast than normal, but uh, it's been so worth it. Uh, you know, your the content has just been amazing. I know personally I've um, learned a lot just from speaking to you and uh, I love that you really kind of also make light heart of what is pretty, you know, is really a pretty uh, serious topic. Um, but the ramifications that poor gut health can have on our overall health um, is, you know, can certainly end up being uh, quite severe later on. Now, I do know that you mentioned before that you do also run a podcast called Love and Guts that I was very fortunate enough to to feature on. Uh, so thank you so very much. But how else can uh, people find you and learn more about what you do, Linda? Just on my website, so lindagriprich.com. It's a bit impronounceable, but I'm sure you'll pop it in the uh, in the show notes yeah. and just social social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and that sort of thing. Sure. What nationality is Griparich, if I've pronounced that correctly? Doesn't it stand out like a sore thumb? Griparich. It's uh, Croatian. Itch. Oh. Anything with itch. <laughs> And your head might want to go. And and have you seen the size of my head? I mean, it's a box. So that is a bit of a trait. (laughs) Right. Didn't put the two and two together. I was going to think maybe Polish or something like that. Now you know. Now you know. You learn something new every day. (laughs) I mean, we've just come to the end of the podcast. Have I actually pronounced it correctly? How have you you pronounced it? Grapirish? No, you haven't. (laughs) 
but it's okay. It's actually okay. My maiden name is Lawrence, but if you really want to, you can say Linda Griprich if you like. Oh. My business name is Griprich. It's just easy to find me that way. There's too many Lawrences out there. Yeah, totally, totally, <laughs> totally, totally. Oh, hopefully I haven't um, – you'll forgive me for my uh, poor pronunciation of your uh, I don't think I've had any the <laughs> first day. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yeah, I'll just make sure that I include uh, all of the uh, – everything that you've just mentioned in the show notes uh, for sure. But, again, thank you so very much for coming on to the show, uh, Linda, and sharing your wisdom on all things uh, constipation, poo and gut health and SIBO. It's, it's just been absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much, young lady. And I'll tell you what, I'm just so excited about where you are going to take stuff with the shift working space. It is so needed. So guys, seriously, if you do have those sort of roles, this is your woman, seriously. And and you're not radical either, which is what I really love. You're very realistic about your approach. And I think that's what cuts through. And it's just so clear in the way that you deliver stuff. Mm. Oh, that's very sweet. I should hire you for my P- PA lady. <laughs> PR lady. <laughs> She actually has, guys. She actually has. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? <laughs> no. Oh, dear. Well, so that's it for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. If you enjoyed the show, uh, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit, as this will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. Now, it also helps if you leave us a rating, preferably five-star, if you really liked this episode, as this will help my podcast gain an even bigger reach, which will enable me to help more people. If you'd like access to more free resources, including my newsletter, just visit my website, healthyshiftworker.com and enter your name and email address. I've also just recently launched my second intake of my Better Sleep Intensive program exclusively for shift workers. So if this sounds of interest, just go ahead and click on the Work With Me Better Sleep program link, which features on my website where you can learn more about the program along with the application process. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening until next time may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24 7 this year the wellness summit returns the only lesson is ever going to be your learning that's it as long as you're learning that's your lesson when you stand in front of the mirror the talk the things that go on between these ears in the morning can also be what sets you up for a day and if you've beaten yourself up for not being the most extraordinary person that you can be then start now we make it hard for ourselves we make things difficult for ourselves because we go and apply a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of i'm not good enough to the things that occur in our lives wake the heck up today is a new day and here's where it can change kim morrison and karen smith feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.